she's just with me all the time. She assists me all the time. And I can, anytime I am working with somebody else and with, or with another horse and I'm having a problem, I can kind of reach out to Jin for guidance. And, and she's always right there offering support. Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, a podcast for horse lovers everywhere. I'm your host, Tracy Malone. And this podcast is brought to you from my home in the Sanford Valley in the northwest of Brisbane, Australia. I was born on Wiradjuri country and this land I live on now is Waka Waka and Turrbal country. I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land and to pay my respects to their ancestors, past and present. And I'd also like to extend that respect to each and every one of you listening. This week's show is brought to you by Equitana Australia. Equitana is happening from the 15th to 18th of November this year in Melbourne. In celebration of 20 years of Equitana, the main event will make its much-anticipated return to the main stage of the Aqualuma Grand Pavilion. This is an action-packed night for the whole family. Horsemanship stars David Manchin and Double Dance will be on first. Then, to cap off the night, illusionist Sam Powers will bend our reality with a performance that will have us questioning what is happening in front of our eyes. After starring in Australia's Got Talent, Powers has taken his show on the road and sold out shows wherever he goes. Powers now wants to bring his performance to us. This is a ticketed event. To get your tickets to this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, go to equitana.com.au. I really hope to see you there. Make sure you say hi if you see me. In this episode, I speak with Andrea Datz from Integrative Horsemanship. There is so much gold in this episode. I am so happy for you and your horses that you've tuned into this one. From learning to listen to your horse to understanding the principles of dancing the tango and taking them into your time with your horse and the beautiful gift that I received during this podcast, calmness. Andrea was so calm and clear in her communication throughout this podcast that after a night, for me, of barely any sleep, waking up at 4am to record the conversation at 5am, no breakfast and a usually high, excitable nature that I have, I felt calm and grounded by Andrea's presence from the other side of the world. I really hope you feel this too while listening to Andrea and the beautiful message she has to share. Here is Andrea. Andrea, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So first of all, could you tell me a little bit about what it is that you do? My thing these days is helping people uh, to understand their relationship with their horses better. So I do a lot of work teaching people how to access their instincts and intuition, how to be more conscious of how they move and, and carry themselves because, you know, of course, horses are so keyed into body language and are energy and intention. So most of my work revolves these days around teaching people how to improve their own sensory awareness so that they uh, can meet their horses on more equal footing 
um, and then and then tangential to that, helping them understand that anything their horse does is simply feedback about what the horse thought you said, <laughs> or how the horse felt about what you said, or how the horse is feeling, and they're trying to tell you how they feel. So um, a lot of work with body language-based and movement-based communication. Oh, that sounds absolutely fantastic. Is this something that you've always had or is this something you've developed over time, that ability to hear horses and, and feel horses? It's something that developed over time. And, you know, I, I really believe that as children, we all have that innate capacity to, to check in in ways that we lose as we age. Um, so I think I had it as a child to the degree that all children do, you know, the, the, part of our sensory experience is to have a great deal of awareness and be curious about our environment and go out and explore. And so I think what our senses tend to be a lot more awake and alive when we're children. And there's this sense of wonder about everything. So from that standpoint, yes, I, I had it as a child, but to, to say that I understood how to work with that or that I understood what was happening, I, I had no clue. It's something that developed over the years, um, you know, an understanding of what was happening and how I perceive things. And, and then, of course, over the last few years, it's just gone through the roof, the, the capacity to recognize what the horses are telling me. Mm, like a finely tuned machine it's wonderful yeah. so where did your life begin with horses you did you say you grew up with them I did my my dad came over here from Germany when he was 18 and he had a dream of being a cowboy so he always wanted to have horses so as soon as he could he did um, so when I was born my dad already had horses and he he bought us um little Shetland ponies, my, my brother and sister and I, and, um, and I got bucked off probably every time I got on that little bugger, <laughs> but, so, <laughs> but that's where we started. And so, yeah, horses have been, and, and dogs and cat. I mean, you know, we've had animals in, in our lives since I was born. Um, my dad's funny. He's very straight laced kind of guy. And I think sometimes he wonders how I ended up the way I did, but it's all his fault because he had a really strong sense of, he was a mountain climber and, you know, quite an outdoorsman. And so he really taught us uh, a respect for animals and nature. And, you know, if we went hiking, we were always picking up trash because he, he just he can't, he can't see stuff like this and leave it. And he was always the one who'd wade in on school trips and get mad at um, the other parents for letting their kids run roughshod over the land and, and destroy things you know he's always taught us to be respectful wonderful and did he actually become a cowboy he did <laughs> in a, in a That's uh, eventually it took some years but he did eventually purchase uh, a large acreage and he raised cattle and um, he had a roping horse for quite a few years and um, we did 4-H with our horses which in the United States is a a program for kids where we they have programs for all different kinds of animals and things and so I did I did that with my horses and um and that was about it we we rode 
recreationally and we and we did 4-H to learn more about riding and that kind of thing. I never had a competitive bone in my body. I could have cared less about showing my horses. I, I just wanted to be with them. They were my friends and I understood horses better than humans. Um, humans scared the heck out of me. <laughs> horses <laughs> made sense. So so yeah. all I wanted to do was hang out with my horses and, and they were my best friends. So, I, you know, I didn't really care about showing or anything like that. I just wanted to hang out with my horses. And that first little Shetland pony, did you guys ever come to an agreement or did it just stay? No. In fact, my parents owned a ski lodge in Aspen, Colorado, and, and we kept the horses at the lodge. And those little ponies, they would kick people and bite people. And dad finally got rid of them just because they were dangerous to have around the guests. So, and I was so little, I don't even really remember too much about them. So I just know one day they were gone. So, um, yeah, they, they moved on. And um, when I was, I think I was 12, between 12 and 14, I'm terrible at remembering numbers, always have been, but between 12 and 14 years old, I got my first horse as a birthday present. Um, and his name was Ricky. And, uh, beautiful. What kind of horse was Ricky? Ricky was a quarter horse, um, big, beautiful bay quarter horse with a big old white blaze on his face and he was just as sweet as could be so he and I had loads of adventures and um he's a huge part of my life that my whole childhood he was with me so yeah and did he start you on the journey to thinking differently about horses or did he just give you that beautiful sense of childhood freedom? He gave me the beautiful sense of childhood freedom. My, the thing that I always refer back to because my, my, um, my evolution in horsemanship, um, I lost that along the way. And, and so he's the one that I always, I remember back to what it's supposed to feel like because when I was a kid and I was riding him, it was just pure joy and freedom. So I remember my favorite thing about him was we would, I would jump on him barefoot, bareback in the summer, and I would race across the irrigated um, hay fields where my dad's ranch was, and we would gallop through the splashing water up this hill, and I'd stop him under this big cottonwood tree and um, lay down on his back, and he would eat grass, and I'd lay there in the shade, and, and we'd just hang out. So that was what... You know, we go on these adventures up in, we had um, government land that surrounded the property so we could, we could ride out for hours and hours. Um, so my sister and I would take off on our horses, Ricky and Danny, and we would have adventures and we'd just go exploring in the backcountry and, you know, get stuck and have to get off. We didn't want to backtrack because that's boring. So <laughs> if it got too dicey to ride through, we'd just get off and lead them and until um, we found another way that was rideable again and then we'd get back on but we'd spend day you know all day just exploring with our horses um oh, kids these days just don't know what it was like in the good old days no they don't it's so much more controlled now and and there's so much um fear of letting children go and explore because what if they get hurt and mm. yeah 
So it was very different. And they've got mobile phones. We didn't have that. <laughs> I know. I didn't have a phone. My parents knew vaguely in what direction we went and then just hoped for the best. And we had, we had a lot yeah. of faith in our horses to take care of us and in our own common sense, you know. So. And there was um, there were not that many in, in my childhood anyway. There weren't that many big accidents either. We no, just, um, not, nor mine. You know, you'd fall, get back on and you'd go. So it's interesting, isn't it? It is. It really is. So when was it in your life that you started to, did you learn a traditional way to be with horses or have you always been um, gentle and in partnership? I learned more traditionally aside from, you know, my childhood, I just kind of, uh, I had horses who were already trained and I just, I just rode them and loved them and enjoy them. And uh, 4-H was an interesting bag of worms because I, I didn't really I didn't ride well in a classical sense, um, but I I knew all I wanted to do was work with horses, and I I really thought I was going to go to school to be a veterinarian, um, and then I figured out I really was terrible at math and science, so um, I was kind of at a loss for what I wanted to do as I as I grew older. I finally um, figured out that I could get a degree in equine science, so I went to college and studied equine science. So that was really when thing when I started to get more formal training in how to train a horse, how to ride a horse, how to give a lesson, you know, that kind of thing. But it was very um, standard horse training practices at that time. Um, and it was very different from what I had with my childhood horses. How did the transition come? Who was the horse or what was the the time where you decided that there was another way? Well, the transition actually began my senior year of college when I took a colt starting class. And um, there's a big ranch in Texas that would send year and a half old fillies to the university in Fort Collins where I, where I went to school. And um, they'd be our colt starting projects for the year. And then they'd get shipped back to Texas and be auctioned off in the spring. So um, the what I what I learned was that they they essentially culled all of the the mares because the you know the fillies were typically more difficult to train and they were they were bred to be cutting and reining horses. So the ones that were um, tended to be a little bit more difficult or willful, uh, they'd ship off to CSU. So we had a group of twenty fillies that were. Uh, quite well-bred, athletic, smart, <laughs> willful, that these college Yeah, students... I smile when you say the mayor, the fillies were a bit harder to train. A little smile comes across my face when I hear that. Yeah, yeah, the, and, and a lot of them were redheaded, you know, so yeah. <laughs> we'll add that to the mix. Great. And so the horse I was assigned was named Jin's Model Miss, and it became clear very quickly that Missy or some such thing was not going to fit, suit her personality. So she became gin to me, gin like the drink. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and she proceeded to rock my world. Um, I had never been around a horse that was so smart. I'd never started a horse before. I'd been around green broke horses cause we raised, um, a mare named Brandy from a, from a baby. And, um, 
So I'd been around a horse that was green broke and had had my struggles with the whole young mare thing, but but never started one from the ground up. So she wasn't even halter broke at the time. And um, the and were you given direction? Were you given clear directions <laughs> on what you had to do, yes. or were you given the filly in your final year? And it was like, okay, you've learned everything now. Go figure oh, it no. out. How was no, it? no? They 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 gave us clear direction about what they wanted us to do, and none of it worked with gin. <laughs> So it was pretty funny. Um, one of the things they did, the, the, my favorite thing was that um, when we were starting to catch these these young horses, the first day we go in the paddock where they all lived together and they had all these corral panels strung together and they fanned them all out. And then as a group, the 20 or so students and teaching assistants and whatever, we'd form a line and we would herd this group of 20 colts into the this open fan of the panels and then everybody grabbed a panel and you ran. And so we essentially created a big long squeeze shoot against the rail with 20 fillies nose to tail against the fence. And then it was like, find your horse, climb the fence and get the halter on them. <gasps> and, and then they were haltered and then we could start to work with them from there. Well, Jen did that the first day, the second day, she refused. Because that's the only way she could get out. Well, she did it the first day because she didn't know what was coming. The second day, ah. she went, ah, I'm not that dumb. <laughs> All the other fillies ran into that fanned out shoot except Jin. And what Jin did was trot the line of people with her ears flat out to the side. And she would look every person in the eye as she trotted past them. And she trotted back and forth along this line of people. And when she saw a person she thought would give, if she charged them, she charged. And of course, people moved yeah. out of her way. So she didn't have to get caught that way that day. And she, from that day on, like, she would never go into that fanned out panel thing. So I was like, you know, I had the only horse in the class that you couldn't catch the way that they were doing it. So they'd actually given us a book to read by a woman named Cherry Hill and uh, who's great. And so I read Cherry Hill's book <laughs> and she talked about the advance and retreat method and bringing food out and things like that to, to lure the horse in. And so I went out outside of class and spent hours um, teaching her to let me catch her. And so within a couple of days I was walking out and catching my horse like a normal person everybody else was still running their horses into the panels. And um, so I had people asking me, how did you, you know, how did you do that? And I said, well, I read the book they gave us for the class and I did what she said and it worked. So, so that was the beginning, but it was that way. Every single thing I did with Jin was that way. You know, they had round pens and we were supposed to go run them around in the round pen. And I'd do that for a couple of days and then Jin would, she would plant her feet and refuse to walk out of the barn if she knew we were headed in the direction of the round pens and I'd spend two hours just trying to get her out there. So I would try tricking her and I'd say, okay, we're, we'll go up to the outdoor arena where they had some um, portable panel round pens set up, but she'd never been up there. So she walked out there willingly because we weren't headed for the round pens. So we get up there and there's round pens in there and I stick her in a round pen up there. And she looked at me like you tricked me. That was rude. And, um, and she proceeded to go around and around the pen and she's eyeballing those panels. And at some point she cut across the pen and hit a joint in the panels and dragged the whole pen into a teardrop shape and then turned around and looked at me like, 
try to run me around now. Oh, you know, what a brilliant Yeah, voice. she refused to go to the right, flat refused. And they'd, they'd say, you know, get in front of her, jump in front of her. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. I've seen what she does when you jump in front of her. So you want to jump in front of her? Be my guest. You know, or they'd say crack a whip in front of her. Well, then, you, you know, if you don't have your timing right, you hit her in the face. I'm like, I'm not doing that. So finally, one of the teaching assistants jumped in there with her one day and um, she wouldn't go to the right. So he, he's poking her in the shoulder with the butt end of the whip and she's going, you know, kind of diagonally around, but not turning and going away from him. Finally, her ears went sideways. She looked him right in the eye and flattened him and kept going to the left. So, you know, I just, she kind of, she was such a, such a challenge. Um, and that teaching assistant ended up doing some work with her outside of the, the class situation. And we, you know, ultimately did get her to the point where I was riding her and I was able to take her in the little horse show thing that they did at the end of the year. And we came in second place and um, we were supposed to have an opportunity to bid on our, like we could, we could say we wanted to keep our Colt training project horse and they wouldn't get shipped back to Texas, but they'd had some problems in previous years where students committed to, to a horse and then when the, the, you'd, you'd end up paying what the average price was at the auction it, that happened in Texas. And so they got some high prices a couple of years where students bailed out and said they couldn't do it. Um, so they, they said, if you want your horse, you have to come to Texas and go to the auction. So I, heartbroken, I watched Jin, you know, get back on the trailer and get shipped back to Texas and thought I'd never see her again. And uh, graduated from college, you know, went home and started planning my wedding. And uh, I get a phone call from a guy who was in my, my class with me. And he says, I just wanted you to know that I went to Texas to try to buy my filly and I ended up with yours. And so she's back in Colorado. And uh, I said, wow, thank you for letting me know. And if you ever decide to sell her, please let me know. I think a month later, I'd just gotten married. Um, and he he calls me and he says, I got a job offer and I can't take her with me. I'll let you have her for what I paid for her at auction. And so we, my dad had purchased a pony for me to use as a lesson horse. I sold him for $800. We took all the money that we'd gotten as wedding gifts and I bought gin. Wow. What was it like bringing her home? Oh, it just was so amazing. Um, Yeah, she was two years old at that point and um, skinny and feisty and (laughs) smart. And uh, I got my first job managing a barn shortly after that. So she went there with me and... um, you know, I, I had the worst time connecting with her. She just really didn't want to connect with people. This this ranch um, where she was raised, they kind of raised horses like cattle. So um, the, the mares were bred and then turned out and they'd foal out in these big acreages, which all sounds very idyllic until they round them up when the foals are ready to wean and they um, they separate them from their mothers, they rope them and they brand them. So Jin was, when she was roped as a weanling, they broke her withers. Um, and then she got branded on her cheek, her shoulder, and each butt cheek. Um, 
she did not like human beings very much. And then, you know, I can see why getting loaded up on a stock trailer and shipped to Colorado with 20 other Phillies all milling around together and then having the same thing going home, you know, going back to Texas and then going into an auction. And yeah, I mean, she, she was not happy with humans. Um, so she tolerated me, but she didn't, you know, I didn't feel like we didn't have the relationship I wanted. So um, I tried Pirelli methods with her and um, initially it worked and I thought this is great. It worked for maybe two days. And then she looked at me like, if you are so stupid that you need to keep repeating this stuff, I don't have time for you. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, that's not going to work. So I, I started looking around trying to find someone I could learn from that might be able to help me. And I, I had the opportunity kind of within a couple of weeks of each other to, um, to audit a clinic with um, Mark Rashid and then with Kim mm. Walness. And wow. I was really impressed with both of them. And I ended up hosting clinics with them both. So I do um, two clinics a year with Mark and two clinics a year with Kim. And I'd host them at the barn where I worked. And between those two, I started to make some inroads with gin. But Kim was the one who she kept telling me, you should call an animal communicator. And I was like, you're telling me to call some lady who lives in Pennsylvania, you know, clear across the country from me to talk to her about my horse who she's never met. And she's going to, what, telepathically communicate with her? Right. You know, I just, I could not, my, my, I had been very much trained into the um, pre-veterinary medicine kind of paradigm and traditional horse, horse training kind of paradigm. And this notion that a horse could communicate like that just seemed so, it seemed like a fantasy to me. I just, you know, like I trusted Kim and I believed in her, but that just seemed like such a fantastical thing. Well, after several years, I finally, I was so frustrated and kind of at my wit's end with some of the things. Like, Jen would, she when she lost patience with me, she would drop me on the ground. I mean, it was like, I don't even know how she did it. I would have loved to have video of it. But we'd be going along, and, and all of a sudden, she would, like, duck. And I would be sitting on the ground, and she would be standing there looking at me like, I've had it with you, you know. And and so it's like, you know, I can't learn with you because you have no patience. You, I can't figure stuff out because the minute I do something that frustrates you, you drop me on the ground. This is really frustrating. <laughs> so finally, I took uh, Kim's advice and I called this animal communicator Kim had been working with for quite a while by then named Teresa White Dove. And um, very skeptical. So I thought, well, I'm going to be scientific about this and I'm not going to tell her a whole lot and I'm going to not do much with gin this week so that I can see what's, you know, what's what. So Teresa said, fine, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll work with her this week and we'll talk on Friday. So I didn't do anything with her that week. And I started to notice funny things like she was out in a pasture with a herd of horses and they'd all be eating and she'd be standing off by herself with this really funny inward look. Well, that's interesting. And then I had boarders start coming to me about three days in saying, what did you do to your horse? And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? I didn't, I haven't done anything to my horse. And they're like, 
she's never wanted anything to do with me. And it's like, now she's coming up and asking for treats or she's coming up and putting her head over my shoulder. Like what is going on here? Okay. Well, that's really weird. And, um, so then I talked to Teresa at the end of the week and she said, um, she said it took three days for Jen to be willing to even entertain talking to her. Um, and the only reason she did was she thought it was sort of novel that she was talking to a disembodied human voice. So that, that, intrigued her enough to give it a shot and um she basically admitted that uh well she said she didn't really like people and Teresa said well what about me and she said well she's better than most but she's still human and uh so her tolerance was quite limited (laughs) Uh, but what came out of that conversation was Jin asked me if I could please show her an example of the kind of relationship I wanted to have with her. So the idea was that anytime we saw another horse and human working together, that I was supposed to let her know if that's, that's what I had in mind. So every time from that day on that she and I would encounter another horse and human working together, she would stop whatever we were doing and she would look at me and look at them as if to say like that. And I would watch and I'd say, no, that's not quite it. And she'd sigh like she was relieved (laughs) and she continued to give me a chance. And what I, what I realized in all the years of us working together was I never could find an example that was exactly what I thought I wanted. Um, So she and I really had to figure it out for ourselves and find what worked. But she's the first horse that sent me down a different path. Yeah. Can I just point out as well, though, that um, your resistance to this for all those years, because it was too fantastical, but you could absolutely hear what it was she was saying and you knew she was stopping and looking at you and you could clearly see it in the round yard back at um, college when she would break the round yard and look at you, you still knew uh, exactly what it was she was saying so isn't it funny that we innately have these things but when we speak about them out loud that somebody could possibly do this we think no that's not possible even though we are still doing it all the time yeah when I didn't have any awareness that I was that aware um I actually talked to Teresa this morning I still work with her and um and and she was saying you know you've had that that knack since I've first started talking with you like she said you've always been sensitive to you know being able to hear what the horses are telling you and and it's I mean it's true I just didn't know it um I was picking things up all the time I just didn't know how to interpret what what I was getting I just thought half half the time I thought I was crazy because whether I was around people or animals I was always um with people I just always felt freaked out (laughs) And I didn't know why. And uh, it took a long time, a lot of years to figure out that, that it was empathy, you know, and to just understand what what empathy really is. And that like the horses, you know, you you are on all people, all mammals are capable of resonating with others and um, knowing how they really feel. So I just was I was knowing how people felt, but they were saying something different than what, you know, like they, they behave and speak as though they felt one way, but internally I was picking up this other thing that they felt. And so I was always picking up on that incongruity between what people said and how they acted and how they felt. 
and so it what would happen a lot of times is I would say things or ask questions that um, freaked people out because they thought they were hiding what they felt really well. And I was so unaware of what I was picking up on that I would just kind of say things or, you know, that would kind of stop them in their tracks. And like, you know, how did you, like, I'm hiding that. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, know, I thought I was That's hiding the that. exact reason I went and trained as a counselor. Mm-hmm. The exact reason, because yeah, it was all a bit overwhelming. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. It's it's a freaky world as a child when um when everyone's lying to you. Exactly, and you start to feel like you're crazy. It's yeah. you that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow, how fantastic, and. Where did you get to with Jen? Well, Jen is still with me. She's 28 years old now. Um, And she's just, you know, she's been my greatest teacher and still is, honestly. Um, So, yeah, I mean, we've done a lot of, we we did quite a bit of things together over the years. We dabbled in dressage. We we went and did um, some clinics over the years, uh, playing around with raining and stuff like that. And, but mostly I worked with her with Mark and Kim and we just worked on refining communication um, and our connection. And uh, we did trailer riding. We've done a lot of things um, that I guess you would constitute more traditional things that people do with horses. Did you get to the place of relationship that you were hoping for both of you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And what does that look like? And it's and it's deepening all the time. Um, oh, what does that look like? Because <laughs> uh, you said you couldn't see it anywhere else, and you had to develop it. So I'd love yeah. to really get a sense of what that is for both of you. Um, it's it's so deep; it's hard to put into words. It's um, the connection is so strong. She's the first horse that I, that I learned how to do long distance communication with. Like I actually was able to, with a little coaching from Teresa, develop my own abilities to communicate telepathically with horses. And it was her that, that I could connect with, you know, like the connection so deep, I could do that with her. Mm. Um, and she's so dang intelligent, you know, it's like you can have full on conversations with her. So many other horses that I, that I check in with, it's like, I get, I call it multi-sensory downloads that I get where it's images and sounds and emotions and all kinds of things with Jin. It's, it's like this very intellectual thing. Um, so, so there's that piece of it, but it's like, she's just with me all the time. She assists me all the time and I can anytime I am working with somebody else and with or with another horse and I'm having a problem I can kind of reach out to Jin for guidance and and she's always right there offering support um, when we do things together the communication is so fluid it's not it's not traditional training in the sense that it's not like I'm trying to teach her something or modify a behavior or get her to do what I want it's more like we come together and a mutual exchange happens and whatever comes out of that is what 
needed to. So sometimes it ends up being body work and, and I do body work with her. Sometimes we move together. Sometimes, you know, like it's just, it, it just, it's what she guides me to. Um, it really started to deepen. Uh, it's been an almost three years ago. Um, when I finally decided to stop taking clinics with other people and stop getting input from other people and really try to figure out what the horses were trying to tell me my purpose is. And what Jin did was say, you need to stop doing anything, stop doing and just be with us. So I spent an entire summer where all I did was go out and I would hang out with my little herd of horses and let them guide me to what they wanted to do. And so they started to show me things, you know, like places in their bodies that were stuck or uncomfortable and they'd guide me to do body work or, um, or they would, they would work on me and say, you know, hold still, <laughs> try to be receptive, you know, <laughs> like you do for wow. us all the time. So now we're going to do some stuff for you. Like this can be mutual, hold still. But what they, what they were showing me was how, um, how busy and how trapped I'd gotten in this idea of needing to do something with them all the time. And so, so they really took me on this journey of finding how to be still and just be with them. And then Jin kind of led the way in saying, okay, you're doing well with that. Let's, let's see where we go from here. And so I started um, inviting her to do things with me and she, she stopped dead in her tracks again. And it was like, okay, what am, what am I missing? And it was like, you're doing a great job of being externally still. You're still internally very busy was the message I got. Mm. So mentally. It takes a long time to, to quieten your mind. Yeah. And, and just the, the whole inner, like, like I could be fairly quiet on the outside, but still kind of agitated on the inside, even beyond mentally. It was like just, kind of this internal busyness and it's um, so she was really teaching me to find this internal calm um, and to be able to tap into that and be internally calm um, when I'm with them. And that, that's just been an incredible gift that, that they gave me. So that that's where now it's just, um, What they, what Jin started and, and all of the horses that I have here keep perpetuating is this thing of saying, you know, dig deeper and find what is it in you that inspires us to want to follow you and be with you, that inspires us to, to follow your lead without um, the need for any kind of coercion or bribery or anything like that. So that's kind of the where Jin has taken me is this place of saying, let's see how much we can work on the human side to say, you know, taking responsibility for what we're bringing to the table. I really, really love that question of what is it in you that is going to inspire us to work with you? Mm -hmm. That's extraordinary. 
And it's not, I'm finding as I start to slowly take this out into the world, most people are telling me that is not something that anybody ever talks about. No, I've not heard that before. And I'm fascinated by it. So the other thing that happened um, a few years before Jin really took me deep into that was my husband um, signed us up for a ballroom dance lesson as a, an anniversary present. Um, he noticed that I watched a lot of movies that had dancing in them. So he thought that maybe I like dancing and he should tap into that. And uh, What a beautiful man. Yeah, little did he know Lovely. that I, I'm like, I was terrified of the notion of actually dancing because I've never danced before. I didn't have good rhythm. I, two left feet doesn't begin to describe it. I'd never danced in my whole life, not even high school dances. It was like, I just avoided it like the plague. So self-conscious and like, uh, don't look at me, you know? Wow. So um, he signed us up for this free half hour dance lesson and we liked it well enough. We decided to continue. And one of the dances that I had seen over the years in movies and various things that just captivated me was Argentine tango. And it happened that there was somebody at the dance studio that taught Argentine tango. And I said, Steve, I really want to try this. Like, I, this dance intrigues me. I really want to try it. He was very uninterested, but he, he agreed to try it if I would try West Coast Swing. So we had our bargain. And we, we went in and started learning Argentine tango, and I was just mesmerized by this dance. It's very different from ballroom dances in that ballroom dances usually have patterns that you learn. And there's, you know, you start with a box step and you build from that and the, the steps are the same all the time. And the, so you, it becomes very predictable and um, somewhat choreographed and so it's easy to follow because you can predict what's coming. Argentine tango is a completely improvisational dance. So it relies wow. very heavily on the connection between the two partners, because if, if the connection isn't good, you can't feel what the leader's going to ask you to do. And, um, and oh, by the way, you dance heart to heart in tango. So your point of connection is chest to chest. Um, so you can't look down and watch what the feet are doing. <laughs> How wonderful and terrifying all at the same time. It's very intimate. And it's, it's um, the first time I got to dance with somebody um, who was really experienced. Uh, it was intoxicating um, and mesmerizing. It was just like, it's the most amazing thing I've ever felt. And I thought, this is what I want to feel when I'm with the horses. So that that was one of the catalysts for changing my path with the horses also was learning to dance and having the experience of being a follower and having someone else lead me and particularly in tango where it's such an intimate experience to be led by someone when we started doing group the first group class we ever did was a really pivotal experience for me because I got to dance with a male leader who happens to be a uh, he, he's been a horse trainer for 50 some odd years, a farrier, um, and he's a tango dancer. And um, I got to dance with him and I was like, oh my gosh, I can dance. This is amazing. You know, I was just like, 
he had me doing things I didn't know how to do or didn't think I knew how to do. He was so soft and light and considerate. I was grinning from ear to ear. I felt like I could do anything. And then we rotated partners and I ended up with a guy who had been dancing tango a couple of years, which is sort of a dicey time for a leader. They kind of think they know it all, but they're still not very good. And uh, he was very, very tall. (laughs) And I have, we were in what we call practice frames. So I had my hands on his chest and um, we're walking. That's all we're doing. We're walking, but it's my first time in high heels I'm walking backwards in high heels with a stranger who's kind of tense. (laughs) Yeah. And he's taking these big, long strides and he kept stepping on my toes and, um, and he starts going, what's wrong with you? (laughs) All we're doing is walking. Why can't you get out of my way? You know, your arms are like noodles. You need to have tone in your arms. What's the matter with you? Is your skirt too tight? You know? And I mean, I'm just horrified and I, I walked away from like we rotated partners again. And I'm like, thank God. And I went and found Steve. I'm like, I'm not dancing with anybody, but you <laughs> from now on, this is terrible. Yeah. And being an empath on top of it all, it was like, I was traumatized by that experience. Yeah. And I, I came very close to quitting dancing altogether. Didn't know if I wanted to continue dancing tango at all. And took a long time to go back to a group class. But, um, but I walked away from that and I went, you know, I've been that leader from my horses. The one who's ah. constantly criticizing and nitpicking and micromanaging and and I don't ever want to be that again, ever. And so so that sent me down this path of saying, I wonder what it would be like if I applied the, the etiquette that they apply in tango to working with horses, because at a tango social dance, there's, um, because it's an intimate dance, there's a lot of etiquette involved. And the woman or the follower has um, all of the control over what happens to her on the dance floor. So uh, a gentleman will catch a lady's eye that he would like to dance with. And um, if she makes eye contact and nods, that's her saying, yes, I would like to dance with you. And then he'll come and walk her to the dance floor. If she averts her eyes, that's no. And she doesn't have to dance with him. Um, She gets to decide if she wants to dance in close embrace, chest to chest, or in open embrace that's less intimate. She gets to decide after you dance three dances together with each partner in a social dance. After the first dance, she can say thank you and go sit down. She's not obligated to dance all three dances with him. He is obligated to dance all three with her. So there's a lot of wow. etiquette and the, the follower has an enormous amount of control over the quality of her experience. So there's a lot of great lessons in there, aren't there? Yeah. So that was, that sent me down another whole path with my horse training where um, I had this mare named mystic that was in for training and um, she'd been worked with using natural horsemanship techniques. And I was, and she had a, an owner who was, um, fairly new to having horses and had green broke horses. So it was a, an interesting combination of things. And I, the, the person who started her had done a lot of um, the round penning and natural horsemanship kind of stuff. And so I was going to attempt to kind of continue in that vein. And um, 
it just wasn't working. You know, this mayor, it's like if you, she would bolt past you. And if you jerked on the rope or something to that effect, she would, um, she would spin around, rear up and come after you. And she was huge and really athletic. So anything you did that she interpreted as telling her what to do or being even a little bit aggressive, she would come back at you like challenge accepted. And I was wow. like, you know, this is, this could turn really dangerous for this lady. I got to find another way. So she was the first horse that I said, I'm really going to put this to practice and I'm going to see what I can do with this idea of inviting a horse to participate, but not demanding it. And I spent, um, I went out the first day to her paddock and she walked away when I went to catch her and I said, okay. And I turned around and left. And, and I, I was walking away going, what on earth am I doing? <laughs> like everything. The right thing. Well, everything <laughs> I'd ever been taught said, you're teaching her. She doesn't have to be caught when you, you know, I mean, it was like the, yeah. the little talk that was going on in my head was hysterical, but I turned around and looked and she's standing at the gate looking at me like, what the heck just happened? So the next day I walked into the pen, she walked right up to me and stuck her nose in the halter. And I'm like, okay, well, there's the first myth busted, you know, that if I let her walk away, that I'm teaching her that she doesn't have to be caught. That myth is now busted. Um, yeah. You know, and then, so then she let me catch her and I, I asked her to walk with me without pulling. I just, you know, I, I moved away and I created a little invitation to come and she planted her feet. So I released the pressure and had the little conversation with myself about, okay, so what are you teaching her now? Are you teaching her that she, you know, she can get away? What, is she, what am I letting her get away with now? You know? Mm. <laughs> and, um, and it was fascinating because the first few days I would offer this tiny little bit of connection and, and nothing, seemingly nothing would happen. But after I would ask and release a few times, she would go sound asleep and go into this like really deep, state of processing so I would turn her loose and I would leave her and come back the next day and we'd do it all over again and so after about a week she stopped going into that kind of deep sleepy processing state and started turning her head and looking at me and then she'd start to take a step in my direction and then finally she started to follow me around and so um I didn't take her out of her paddock with a halter on until she was reliably following me around and not falling asleep <laughs> because wow. I didn't want to have, I didn't want to like go out somewhere and have her go into this deep processing space and then be like, sorry, we got to go back to your pen. <laughs> you know, and have to yeah. resort to somehow getting her back. So I think I had spent six weeks where I didn't, and I'm fortunate because I have my place set up that I can do turnout and things without having to put a halter on to get them anywhere. So when I was working with her, I just always did it in her paddock where I could just turn her loose when, she, when we were, you know, when she said she was done or when she went into some kind of deep processing mode, I could just let her go. So the first time I took her out of the paddock was the day her owner came for a lesson. And I'm thinking, Oh God, <laughs> I got myself into I have no idea how this horse is going to respond when I wow. take her out of the paddock you know like how reliable is this connection I have no idea so we're walking out across my arena area towards the place where we were in a um, groomer 
and uh, two of my horses come blasting out of the paddock and run right past us out to the pasture, which in the past would have, she would have bolted and, um, and really lost her marbles over that. And she started to go by me and I picked up a tiny bit of connection and she stopped and waited. And I, and I walked on past her and she fell in behind me and followed me over to where we were going to tack up. Wow. So that was my first real experiment in saying, okay, I, I don't feel like I have another choice here, so I'm going to try something completely different. And that was the birth of, of um, Tango with Horses. <laughs> so, so now that's, that's kind of my exploration is how can I apply what I've learned from dancing to working with horses. So hence the whole focus on um, what we're presenting with our body language and, and um, our emotions and our intention and, and how our horses are picking up and interpreting that. So how do we become interesting enough and magnetic enough that our horses follow us naturally? How do we become interesting enough <laughs> and magnetic enough that our horses will want to follow us? When you, when you said that before about what is it inside of us that would inspire them to want to be with us, that touched something so deep within me mm. that that hasn't been touched before, if it makes sense. It, it found a place inside of me of how extraordinary, how interesting. It is. It's not something we think about. And it, 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 it like touched a button that teased to... to there's always what's your gift to give to the world, what is it you're here to do, but to ask it in that way mm -hmm. invites it. It's brilliant. So how is it that you go about, if you can give us an example of how is it you go about assisting somebody? There's a lot of things I do with people now that are uh, ex exercises you would do if you were a dancer. Uh, so learning about qualities of leadership if you were leading a dance. Um, and the, and the, the thing about that is the thing that I learned about the horses as I continue to explore this, this realm of how do I become interesting enough for them to follow me willingly or out of their own accord is, um, first of all, I have to be interesting to follow. So that means that I have to move in a way that captivates their attention. That's extraordinary. So I have to be dynamic in how I move. I have to be confident. Horses like it when we have good balance. I did discover that. And they like it when we move with rhythm. And this is all on the ground. Wow. Yeah. And of course it all translates yeah. into the saddle too, but you know, um, if you, if you can find it on the ground, I think it's really, um, one of the things I haven't talked about too much in my work, but that, that, that I keep thinking I need to talk more about. Um, when we sit on a horse's back, we're sitting right over their center of gravity. We have an enormous amount of power when we sit over their center of gravity. So we can, we can think that we have a horse's cooperation, but the truth is, or that the horse is responding willingly so when I see people riding bareback and bridleless and they're saying, oh, this is great because the horse has a choice. They have a voice because there's no bridle. There's no saddle. Yeah, but you're still sitting over their center of gravity. Um, you have an enormous amount of influence when you sit on them. Um, 
and work over their center of gravity. I think it takes an enormous amount of consciousness to be able to ride a horse with or without tack and not take their yeah. voice away. So I think it's really important that we, we learn from the ground how to become captivating and interesting and have horses who are following us willingly um, so we know what that feels like and what it looks like before we climb on their back. And then, of course, in my opinion, we shouldn't be getting on unless we're invited. Mine too. Um, yeah. So um, how, you, how do you develop that? It's, it's, it, one of the things about tango that's so fascinating to me is that every partnership is unique. So you, you watch 10 couples on the dance floor and they are all interpreting the same song completely differently. Mm -hmm. They all have completely different ways of connecting because of how their bodies join comfortably with each other, you know, how they were taught, how they hear the music, how, you know, like all of those things combine to create a unique partnership. So one of, one of the things that, that happens is in terms of my coaching people is to say, you have to discover what's comfortable for you and your horse. You have to discover what your horse likes. How do you see the world? How do you feel? How do you perceive? How do you move? How does your horse move? How do you guys come together and move together? That's something that you have to discover. Um, so most of my work when it comes to, because I think your question was how do, I, how do I help people or coach people in that, I teach them to be to develop their own senses, to become more aware, more awake, um, more in touch with who they are, so that so that they can better mm. interpret what their horse is maybe telling them, and um, and also have more self awareness so that they can start to access these things in themselves that allow them to follow their instincts and their intuition and be spontaneous and um, intuitive and yeah and when you creative and adaptable yeah we're not we're taught to not do those we're, we're not taught to, follow taught the rules. to do in our culture well, and also something to recognize is in those 10 couples where everyone's right. interpreting it differently and just as they, they would find their groove together if they were all open and doing as you say, but as soon as they changed partners, everything oh, yeah. would change again. Absolutely. So we can't apply the same rule to one horse and the same thing we do with one horse to another horse. Right. Because it's, it's completely another ball game. It's another relationship. It's another learning from the start. It's exactly. wonderful. And that's one of the reason when you go to a social dance in tango, you have three dances with the partner. Because as you change partners, everything changes. So the first dance is kind of like you're, you're getting a sense of who your new partner is and how they move and how, how sensitive are they and what do they know. And then the second dance, you can explore a little bit further. And then by the third dance, you have a pretty good sense of what, how much you can explore and play together. So, yeah. Yeah, what kind of changes have you seen in yourself or in people who have come to you when they've de developed this within themselves, when they've developed that intuition, when they've become spontaneous? Can you give us an example? 
Uh, I'm thinking of what would be a good example. Well, for myself, what I notice the most is um, how the horses are responding to me. And I didn't notice it too much when I was, I kind of spent about three years really holed up with my own horses, trying to tap into what they were teaching me. And so I didn't go out into the wider world all that much. And as I've started venturing out into the world now and meeting horses that I've never met before, the biggest difference for me is the horses respond to me differently than they ever have before. It's like they recognize that I am awake in a way that's similar to how they're awake. And they recognize that I can hear and see things that maybe they're, you know, other people don't. And so they tell me, they, they just start showing me things like right away, they start showing me things and, and guiding me to how to help them. So that's been pretty amazing just to watch how the horses have, um, it's like they recognize that in me and immediately respond to it. Um, and how does that translate into the saddle? I'm still exploring that, <laughs> to be honest with you. Because um, that's really tricky. That's like a whole nother yeah, level. It is. And, uh, you know, so so I'm still exploring how far I can take that. And, and I've only taken it into the saddle a handful of times. But what I can say about the few times that I've been in the saddle since I embarked down this path, it felt so much different than it did before. And I think largely because when I have gotten on, the horse has clearly invited me to. Mm. Um, one time was in the context of, a, well, both times that I've gotten on recently have been in the context of teaching a riding lesson. And um, one time I was asked to get on the person's horse because she wanted to see him trot and see what I, you know, see how I would approach it and how, how I would work on his trot transition. And so I asked him if he would like me to work on that with him. And, and I got a very clear yes from him that he would love that. And, um, and it was lovely. It, it just, it was amazing. And it's the, the main thing about it is that when I'm sitting up there, um, I'm thinking in terms of a dancer, right? So I'm thinking about maintaining my own balance and, and, uh, being an active participant sitting up there. I'm not, there's nothing passive for me about riding. I'm an active participant that's carrying myself and maintaining my own balance. So I don't have to use the horse to balance me. Um, so any connection I have, if the horse has a bit in his mouth and I have my hands on the reins, that connection is there only for me to feel where he's at in his balance and then any change I make is happening in my own body to support him. So um, it's been this amazing experience of feeling um, like they're, it's almost like they're floating above the bit when mm -hmm. everything is in balance and, um, and the communication is just, it's like tango. It's so much more intimate when you're on their back. Um, and then the other one was a horse who um, his owner was really struggling and, and feeling like he could give her more than he was offering up. And so she was getting very frustrated and critical of him. And he's, he was so sensitive that he 
he would start to shut down on her. And I, I finally just said, I'd like to get on him because I need to, I need to be able to figure out if it's something that you're doing that's causing this or if there's something going on with him. And so I got on him and he was a big draft horse and um, same thing. Like I just said, you know, it's okay with you. And poor guy. I mean, he's so sensitive. I could just feel his sensitivity and how worried he was about doing everything right, mm. you know? And so I got on him and it just, everything was so soft and so light. And I said, you know, you just have to be so much gentler with him. He's just, he's the most sensitive soul in the world. And you think you need more energy and more leg to get more from him. What you really need is to just be so much more sensitive. So, so much more so there, still. Yeah. Still internally still. Mm. Um, so that, that, the little bits that I've taken it into riding have been far beyond anything that I've experienced before. And I'm, I'm really excited to take it more into riding. I'm, I'm finally, I finally feel like I'm at a place with my horses at home that I can start to do more of that. And so that's in the next, you know, next months. That's my big thing is how do I take this more into the saddle? It's fantastic. I love every single part of it. You do a blog on your website. Yes, I do. Will you be keeping us up to date with how this is taken into your Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, um, I've really learned that I can only write about the things that I, that I know or am feeling or passionate about in the moment. And, uh, so that's usually what I write about is what's going on with my, my learning with the herd here. Um, I typically I do something uh, Monday mornings that's related to body language, horse and human. And then uh, I try to keep it brief and, and relate it to a photograph of something interesting body language related. It's become beyond body language because I'm trying to go into more depth than just what you can see and talk about what you can feel. Um, you know, the more empathic aspects of body language. Mm. And then uh, Thursday or Friday, I do a, a blog about whatever I happen to be feeling the most passionate about in the moment. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, I write a lot about the tango with horses idea on the blog. So after everything we've spoken about, why do you think horses are here? Oh, that's a good question. You know, I've thought a lot about that because, you know, they used to have a very strong purpose in, in the sense of helping us survive, you know. Yeah. They had a very into battle role. Yeah. yeah, a very functional role. Uh, so they don't have that, that kind of functional role anymore. They're pure um, pleasure. Yeah, pure pleasure. And I, and I think that 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 our understanding of why they're here is only just evolving. Um, I have a strong sense horses chose to be domesticated. I feel that way about all domesticated animals. I think they choose whether or not to be domesticated and come into relationship with human beings. Um, I think that we have the potential to have um, very mutually beneficial relationships. Um, 
I, th I think a lot of people feel horses are here to heal us. And I, I feel cautious about saying it that way because I feel like that puts a lot of burden on horses. And I, I, I come from a background that we really didn't touch on today of rehabbing horses. So I've done a lot of rehabilitation of horses who've been pretty traumatized by humans and need to do their own healing um, and not worry about healing humans. And so, we can collaborate in the healing, but it's exactly. really us whether or not we heal. Exactly. Can't actually do it for us. Nobody exactly. else can do it for us, no matter how great they are as practitioners. We're receptive, we choose to take it in, or we don't. So exactly. I wouldn't like to put that on them either. Yeah, so I, I feel very cautious when I hear people say that, that, that oh, a horse's purpose is to help humans heal. Or I think if I were going to put it in, in any way, I would say um, my horses have been teaching me to wake up. That's my interpretation as well. Yeah. They're just wait, waiting, waiting, waiting for us to wake up and start listening. Yeah. We, we're very good at talking. We're just not very good at listening. The human connection. Yeah, yeah we're very, very, very good at talking. Yeah, so, on, that, on that deep level, on the deep yeah. level, without voice is what I'm, I'm speaking about as well. Listening yeah. and talking with the other parts of ourself. Exactly. And I, the further they take me down this path, like, I, 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 I feel like it's such a big thing because – my personal sense is that if we wake up, then that's when we stop abusing each other, animals, the planet, you know, like the abuse happens because we're asleep, we're unconscious, we're not, we're not deeply connected enough to feel the impact that we have. But if we wake up and we can feel the impact that we have, then you stop because once you feel it, you can't not feel it yeah. <laughs> and you're, and you're going to pay more attention. So for me, it has such global implications in the sense of, uh, you know, who we are with each other, how we treat the planet, how we treat other, other beings we share the planet with. So I have, you know, like I, I have a lot of hope for um, the future because I feel like there's more and more of a movement for among people to, to wake up. Um, and I think when we do, we have the capacity to, we become the ones who heal the horses and the planet and the, you know, all the things that we've damaged, um, in our unconsciousness. Yeah. So it yeah. feels big. It feels really big to me. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And, um, as a little side note, I would like to say that, uh, I had a, I've had a couple of rough nights sleep and very early morning interviews with America. Mm -hmm. And I'm a very excitable creature. I can get very excited, especially when I'm talking about something really deep like this. Mm -hmm. The sense I get from you, even from the other side of the world, is that inner calm. I am mm. sitting here and for the first time in my crazy life in such a long time, I can feel the inner calm and the inner peace. So, I can completely feel what it is that you're learning and what your horses have taught you. And that's part of what they're teaching me is how you project that out 
in a way that it becomes tangible to yeah. those around you. So yeah, I was laughing internally when you were saying that because I've, I'm an excitable person too. And I have been known to in the past doing an interview like this be vibrating literally like sitting here shaking and I would, I would have been talking really fast and, and yeah. um, maybe not making a whole lot of sense because I was so excited about my topic. And I'm, I am finding that the further I go down this path, you know, like I've been able to sit here and, and listen to you and answer your questions and stay grounded and calm and, um, and really speak from my heart and not get all wound up and excited. And that's, that's really what the horses are showing me is how the value of that. And, and, you know, and then that does trickle out and affect everybody that you speak to. Absolutely. Even from the other side of the world. Yes, exactly. How fantastic. What an impact you are having. So the more of us who do this, you know, the more of us who can find this place of internal calm, the more that radiates out into the world. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. We 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 have a trickle a trickle down effect. <laughs> what a gift! What a wonderful gift! Yeah. Thank and, you, Jen. That's yeah. all I can say. I know. I was uh, I was just thinking before, and I wrote down when you first started talking about Jen. I really need to do a tribute to those horses. You know that there, there's such a um, a commonality in so many of the trainers who work in the way that you do, so many of the people who have are brave enough to go deep, and it's because of that horse that started yep. them questioning and saying, no, I'm not going to do any of that. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to find a new way. And even if they just opened the question and another horse came in, you know, it's a real tribute to those horses who are willing to stand up no matter yeah. what. And be, Because, my goodness, if you had have chosen a different um, method in that moment her life could have been so different and yeah and I thought about selling her yeah yeah you know like where is she going to end up who's going to understand her who's going to take the time to try to work with her they're going to try to dominate her and then she's going to kill somebody you yeah. know and then she'll and, be killed yeah and it will just yeah. be horrible and she'll never know what capacity and mm-hmm. we have as humans to be kind Right. Yeah. And I've had, I've had people come and take lessons with Jen where they just lead her around and I sit back and I watch, and this was years ago before I really, really was understanding the depth of how, how far this all goes. But I'd have people who she would not budge until they found whatever it was they needed to find in themselves. And then she would follow them. And I'm just standing there going, I have no idea what's going on. (laughs) Something's happening. So I'm going to just let Jin do what she does. And then inevitably people would come to me and like, that was the most amazing thing I've ever experienced. And they would tell me all about what they learned. And it, it just blew my mind that, you know, from my perspective, it looked like nothing was happening. You know, they, like they went for a walk around the arena in on a lead line. What's the big deal. And and they would always come back with some profound thing that they had learned from Jin. So um, now I have a whole herd of horses who, who have that effect on people. So it's really fun. Wow. On your website, which we'll mm-hmm. get the address of, you actually do online classes as well, which is amazing because you do in-person workshops, but mm-hmm. 
anyone listening to this from all around the world can join an online class. Can you tell me a bit more about those? Yeah, so the online class I started about three years ago, and um, it really, it, it started out initially as a um, kind of a, uh, I'd been doing full-time rehab where I, I was taking in injured, traumatized horses and rehabilitating them. And I'd had two years where I had five full-time rehabs year-round for two years, and I was exhausted and um, and so frustrated with the things I was seeing in these horses, the things that they had suffered, um, the emotional trauma. I mean, the physical trauma is bad enough, you know, the, the damage we do to their bodies with various training methods. But the emotional trauma just really how much stress these horses had been under hit, hit me really hard. And then um, realizing that I had to do things so differently to get them to trust me and then to work with me and become sound again. And then you're going to send them back to someone who may or may not follow through on, on continuing down that path. So I had a lot of horses that would end up coming back to me because they'd, they'd backslide um, because the people weren't wanting to change the way they were doing things. So I got really burned out and I, and I thought, you know, I need to do something different. I don't, I don't want to do rehab anymore. What, what's needed? And I just decided that what I really wanted to do was teach people how to work with their horses in a way that doesn't create trauma or injury to begin with. Like instead of fixing broken horses, maybe I can help people fix their own horses and, um, and maybe I can even better help them um, avoid causing the damage to begin with. Which is so, the only way to go. Yeah. So I just kind of tossed it out there to see if there was any interest. I just kind of came up with this idea at the spur of the moment, going into winter, and I'm like, I'm going to need an income source if I'm not going to do rehab. So... Maybe I'll try teaching an online class. And I just kind of tossed it out there. And to my great, I did like a free little two-week intro into um, this idea of awakening your senses and, and learning to um, use your intuitive abilities. And quite a few people signed up for that. And then I ended up with about 50 people in the, in the class. And, and then it was like, oh, my gosh, I don't have content <laughs> for what I've created. So it's like I think some part of me must have thought it wasn't going to go. So the first year was um, all about communication and connection. And it was all written content um, and some photographs. Um, and, and so it's, it's continued to evolve. I'm, in, I'm almost to the end of the, well, we're three quarters of the way through the third year now. And this year I have about 78 people participating. And I've added video and audio and written word so that um, I'm tapping into all the different learning styles. And then the other thing that I learned in the, in the, you know, coming into this third year was that because it's online and, and I don't get to see much of how people are interacting with their horses, it's very difficult to teach particular technique when you don't get to see how people work. So, um, the, the class really has become a way for me to say uh, this, is a, this is a platform for people who are interested in exploring 
a different way of being with their horses, to come together and be part of a community of other people who are also exploring. So I found out that there's people all over the world who live in isolated places where they feel very alone. They don't feel like anybody understands them. They want to do things differently, but they're not supported in it. They don't have confidence to try it out. So this has been a great platform for people like that to become part of a community of like-minded people who are all exploring this new realm in their own unique ways. So what I end up doing is providing an enormous amount of food for thought and um, inspiration for people to go out and explore and try things and develop their intuition and awaken their senses and and just observe their horses and learn to listen to their horses and have their horses guide them in what's working and what isn't and where do we go from here. Um, so it's been incredibly rewarding and um, just a ton of fun. This year's topic has been communication through movement. So um, we start off the year talking about all the things that we need to do to take care, proper care of ourselves so that we can communicate effectively and clearly and figure out the things that kind of get in our way in um, communicating and being receptive to our horse's communications. And then we delve into all the various things that go into, you know, things that happen to our horses that make it hard for them to connect and communicate. Um, we explore different ways of inviting your horse to join in the dance. And this session that I'm in right now, we're talking about um, how we process stress and trauma and how the, how the nervous system is designed to process those things. And when they, what happens when the system gets overwhelmed and we end up with PTSD or other symptoms of chronic stress and then how do you unravel that both in yourself and in your horse so we cover a lot of ground and it goes really in depth it's it's um designed as a year-long immersion and every so often somebody will want to come in and just do one session but it's really designed to be a year-long immersion yeah that's really deep and powerful how wonderful mm -hmm. what is your website where can we get a feeling for all of the wonderful things that are Andrea? The easiest thing to do is go to andreadats.com and that'll um, direct you both to the online classes, the in-person workshops I'm doing and my blog. So that's a good place to start. And then I'm at Andrea Dats Integrative Horsemanship and Tango with Horses on Facebook. Um, and uh, everything I do gets posted there as well. Wonderful. And is that your only social media that you use? It is enough. Uh, okay. Yeah. In, I'm, I'm just starting to get on Instagram a little bit um, under restoration ranch life. Um, so I'm, I'm posting some photos here and there of just my life with the horses here every so often. Um but I, that's that. That's not my primary form. It's Facebook is really where I spend most of my time in my blog. Wonderful, and the blog's on WordPress, so people can find me through um, Integrative Horsemanship on WordPress. Fantastic, wonderful places to um, to find you, and it is very comprehensive. Your we website, there's so much information in there. And yeah, it's... the blog I've been pretty diligent about um, in the last year or so. So there's quite a lot there.
Fantastic. Well, Andrea, I just want to thank you so much for joining me today on so many levels, um, on everything that it is that you do to give your time to me today, everything that you do for horses, and also for the calmness that is inside me right now. It's just such a magical thing that it is that you give just by being you, just by embodying what it is that you've learned. So thank you for leading the way. Thank you for everything that you do for horses. And I'll, I'll certainly be keeping a really close eye on what it is that you're doing. Well, thank you for having me. It's, it's been really fun to sit down and, and kind of uh, talk about things from, from the beginning and uh, talk about the, my own evolution. It's been good for me too. So thank you. It's a pleasure. It's, it is wonderful to reflect sometimes. It's something that it we is. don't do a lot. We keep thinking, oh, where do I go next? You know, how much deeper can I go? But it's really wonderful to look back as to where we started and how far we've come. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, just all the horses that, that have come across my path that have helped, it's just they've taught me a lot. So, And with more to come. Oh, yeah, endless. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful. Yes. Thanks well, thank again. You. If you'd like to get in touch with Andrea, then you can either follow the links in the show notes or you can go to the blog on my website where you can also see photos of Andrea and her beautiful redhead Jin at comealongfortheride.com.au. I'm on a mission to create a community of gentle and ethical horse people so that their horses all over the world can live a better life. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to join me on my mission, please engage with me somehow. You can leave a review on iTunes or Facebook, share or comment on social media posts, or tell your friends about the podcast. You'll find all the links to our social media on our website, comealongfortheride.com.au. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you'll find me on LinkedIn. If your friends don't know how to podcast, just send them to my website and tell them to hit play. It's the most user-friendly way to listen for anyone you know who'd love to listen but isn't quite sure how. I'd really love it if you'd get in touch and say hi. Let me know who you'd like to hear interviewed on the podcast. Let me know who you really enjoyed listening to on the podcast. I've got some really wonderful people lined up to speak to, but this is your show as much as it is mine. So please, if there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch via my website or social media. I'm completely accessible and I will get back to you fast. Thanks again for listening and I'll catch you next time on Come Along for the Ride.